Domestic abuse, school shootings, mass killings, ethno-political conflict, genocide, terrorism and war. Peace psychology is the study of the mental processes that lead to conflict and how that knowledge can be used in a positive way. In this series, Peace in Mind, we'll be exploring the breadth of peace and conflict psychology. So conflict and peace are, yeah, definitely not to be associated with badness and goodness, evil and good. <laughs> I'm Kim Stewart. And I'm Linda Rose. We're your hosts for this series. Peace in Mind is produced in the studios of 4EB Brisbane with the help of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Psychologists for Peace, an interest group of the Australian Psychological Society. Today on Peace in Mind, we tackle the topic of bullying. Bullying can occur anywhere, in the home, at work, in the playground, on the internet. Bullying is the verbal, physical, social or psychological abuse of a person by another. Some kinds of bullying, such as sexual harassment, are against the law. Being the victim of bullying can destroy people's lives. It can make them less confident depressed, scared, stressed, anxious, and physically sick. It can drive people to suicide. Dear my year seven self. Dear my year seven self. Dear year seven Sophie. When my brother came out to me, it was something that he didn't really plan. I could tell that I only found out afterwards that it was something that he'd been hiding from me in fear that I would reject him or treat him differently. I can't imagine having that fear that someone so close like your sister would treat you differently just because of something like that. One of your friends who's pretty close to you and you've gone through the youth program with um, is going to come out and tell, tell everyone that he's gay. Doesn't mean anything mate, doesn't change anything. You know what it would feel like experience, having experienced anti-Semitism and racism. It's basically the same thing. I mean, you're being discriminated against something you cannot possibly control. It's a common thing that I see online when someone hacks another person's Facebook account or something like that to write, I'm gay or I like cock or I'm a fag. When I see some things online of people being negative about being gay or people being homophobic, I kind of understand why a gay person would be afraid of coming out. Why would they want to come out and be instantly targeted? You're probably going to give in to peer pressure a lot and call, um, you know, bully people, calling them gay, fag, homo. When you are bullying kids and calling them names, you probably don't realise it, but it does actually hurt them quite a bit. You've been listening to an excerpt from a video produced by Minus18, a nationwide organisation supporting lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender teenagers. The video Year 7 Self was produced to help combat schoolyard bullying of young people discovering their sexuality. You can see the full video and read more young people's stories at year7self.org. You're listening to Peace in Mind on 4EB, 4ZZZ and the Community Radio Network. Our expert today is Rebecca McCarluck, PhD researcher and principal consultant at PsychSafe, an organisation which helps people with workplace bullying. She talks to Kim about the characteristics of bullies and the likely outcomes for victims. Bullying can be over and covert, and that's kind of the um, the 
the strange thing about it. Some of these probably a more overt form of it is um, something called mobbing. So mobbing is a form of bullying where it's literally about a group of people ganging up on one person. And it's with the specific intent of trying to get them to leave the group or the organisation. And it actually comes um, you know, from the natural world where they looked at um, flocks of birds and if there was a newcomer bird, they would um, continue, the whole flock would continue to peck at it and um, until it either died or left the flock. So mobbing is sort of the workplace equivalent of this. So that can be quite overt because then there's multiple perpetrators who know that they're ganging up on one individual. Um, other forms of bullying can be um, overt in the sense that if you were a fly on the wall and you saw it, you would say that's bullying, but covert in the sense that the people that are responsible for it are quite clever about how they do it. So if it's one person against another person, they'll typically engage in that perpetration behaviour outside of earshot and eyeshot of somebody else. And from that perspective, it become, becomes quite covert because in, in, a, in a public forum, that person may treat their victim quite reasonably and then as soon as they're not being watched or heard by somebody else, treat them very differently. And from that perspective, you could say it's covert. The other way that you could say it's covert is sometimes once the initial behaviour has occurred and the victim is in that position where they are feeling distressed about it and a lot of negative emotions and often wrapped up in there is fear, is that from that point, the perpetrator kind of has control over them. So they can just do something as simple as just walking in the room and looking at them. And there will be this, you know, the expression is you could cut the air with a knife. But other people may not pick up on that. Only the victim and the perpetrator will really necessarily know that that has gone on. So it might look all quite rosy to bystanders looking on, but the, the victim that's on the end of that, that stare, there'll be a smile and the victim will know that smile is not genuine. It's very, very difficult um, for a majority of the cases that I look at to actually prove that it's going on. Um, if it does become quite overt and it's being done in, in front of other people, you have witnesses to the behaviour. So one of the little side aspects to my research is looking at, um, I guess, the emotional intelligence and, and the skill that perpetrators have in manipulating people. Um, and they can be very, very clever about influencing all the right people in an organisation or in any other setting. Um, you can even look at this in terms of siblings where the one sibling is perfectly behaved in front of mum and dad and then the second mum and dad aren't looking, they're doing things. So they're very clever in the way that they manipulate people. So um, yes, if you get the scenario where you have perhaps somebody in a workplace being victimised or bullied by their manager, particularly if it's done in a more covert way or outside of ear and eye shot of other people. Putting aside the fact there are many reasons why people don't report, a plethora of good reasons why people won't stand up and report that sort of behaviour, the ones who do then go through the, the process of having to try and prove that it's going on. And if their perpetrator is clever, like most of them are, they will have made sure that they've won over all the, the necessary people. So it's kind of a little bit of a process. The victim finally comes forward and might go one step above, you know, if it's their manager that's a problem, might go one step above to the manager once removed. And uh, the perpetrator has befriended that person and has engaged in all the appropriate behavioural displays and has established a working relationship with that person. And victim comes forward and says, this person's atrocious, they're um, aggressive, they're intimidating, they're rude, um, you know, I want to make a complaint and the person hearing the complaint can't believe it because they think, well I, I 
I hang out with this person on a social basis. Their children play with my children and we go for drinks after work and you know, you, you can't possibly be talking about the same person. So the perpetrators in, this, in these equations are, are really quite manipulative and clever, so it can be very difficult to prove it and to catch people out. been trying to profile you know who is a likely perpetrator for quite some time um, and the long story short is the research is mixed um, there's some research that has looked at a likely perpetrator being very dissimilar to their group so rather than it being that a particular personality trait for example makes them more likely to, to be a bully in this case um, it could be that they're just different in that trait compared to their group so it could be that in a group of highly extroverted people that the introvert will find ways to become the bully because they're sticking out like a sore thumb just because they're dissimilar. Um, other aspects of the research say there are a plethora of um, characteristics. I've done some work in narcissism um, and the dark triad in particular, so Machiavellianism and um, workplace psychopathy. And those people, um, you know, they're only just starting to look at it and, and, and say, really, you know, do we have far more um, psychopaths in the workplace than we'd like to perhaps recognise? Um, certainly my interview research with, with targets of these different behaviours, including, you know, sexual harassment, assault, bullying and, and then I guess more mild forms as well, is that the perpetrator is, um, would display the characteristics that a clinical psychologist would probably say are consistent with having some sort of personality disorder. Having said that, not everybody would meet that criteria. Some people just aren't very nice people to work with. Well, if we took narcissism as an example, um, that develops from, from childhood. And there are two different theories on how it actually develops. And so narcissism, to, to give, I guess, a broad overview, is that person that just has a very, very inflated, grandiose self-view. And in the way that they um, come across, they can often be looking to make themselves feel better by derogating other people. So that's an example of where it might relate directly to bullying. But um, underneath that, that inflated sense of self can either be something that they've learnt to try and um, cover up an inferiority complex where they never developed as a young child a healthy sense of self, self-esteem, self-efficacy and self-confidence that builds a person that says okay I can get out there and I can do some things and I'm a good person. Or the flip side is they could have had you know, significant others, normally the parents, that uh, constantly told them that they were perfect and they actually do genuinely believe that they are perfect and they were never actually really told well actually you're not perfect. So there's the uh, inflated sense of self covering up a little person on one hand and then there's the inflated sense of self that is truly believed to be I am I am the bee's knees. One day 
Everyone makes a decision to be either negative or a person of vision. Today, talk poppies reside in a prison. If you talk about rise, then they say nothing has risen. When you try to write a hit, they say you'll keep on missing. Like you want to be free, but have to ask for permission. You can get dragged down by people who want your position, like their managers who want to be the musician and record companies that don't want to listen. But you were still alive, thank God for his provision. has difficulties, expectations and tendencies to bring you to your knees. I'm not here to please monopolies or industries. My philosophy's not based on sales of CDs. Many come to hinder, few are sent to ease. Like when you're in grade five and everyone starts to tease. Criticisms are cancer, have you got the disease? But I'll be me, cannot cease, will not freeze. In the face of opposition and monstrosities. But me and my girl, we're like carrots and peas, please. And that was the Winnie Coopers with Fail and Fall. I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around nine, that would be great. Okay? Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Um... I'm also gonna need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday too, okay? You're listening to Peace in Mind on 4EB, 4ZZZ and the Community Radio Network. Bullying is the topic of today's show. And we are speaking with Rebecca McCulloch, who works at an organization which helps people with workplace bullying. Before the song, Rebecca was talking about which kind of person is likely to be a bully. Now we ask her which kind of person is likely to be a victim of bullying. Some of my research, which probably hasn't won me too many friends uh, along the way, is looking at the notion of the provocative victim. Um, and I guess that, you know, and it, sound, it sounds worse than it actually is. So to clarify, um, it, it, when we say provocative, it's not an intentional thing. People don't go out looking to elicit bullying or, or mistreatment behaviours. But it's, I guess it's wrapped up in sort of a criminology approach to looking at these, these poor interpersonal behaviours. And uh, the classic example that, that gets mentioned is that if you look at, um, you know, in, in criminal cases, they profile you know, the killers or the serial killers or the perpetrators. And then they look at the context, you know, the environment in which it occurred. And then they also look at the nature of the person that they targeted. And it's by looking at all three that they come to a better understanding of how and why things happened. Um, and the, cl- the classic provocative victim profile in, in that scenario would be a prostitute. You know, they engage in behaviours that, um, you know, make them more vulnerable to being perhaps attacked. Um, you know, if you take it out of prostitution, you could say, you know, young ladies that go out on, on, on a weekend without, you know, saying one person in the group will stay sober and make sure that everybody gets home and then they end up walking home, perhaps dressed highly inappropriately or in a fairly provocative fashion. They're not asking to be attacked. They don't deserve to be attacked, but they have engaged in behaviour that is going to make them more vulnerable to an attack. They're more of an easy t- target, so to speak. So in terms of bullying, I've looked at trying to profile likely targets and one 
set of or cluster of characteristics within that is the notion of the provocative victim. Um, and the way that we've theorised that and, and, and the evidence is suggesting that there is support for this, this profile, generally speaking, is that they're very high in trait aggressiveness, but not in the verbal aggression component of that, in hostility and anger, and they're quite internalised um, traits. So you're saying that's the victim or the... The victim. And the way that this would pan out is somebody who's very high in hostility and, and, and anger. If you're in a really crowded room and just by default people bump into you, it might be in a busy nightclub and a networking event, it's quite difficult to move around, somebody bumps you. If you're low in trait aggressiveness, you're likely to just dismiss it. So that, that didn't mean anything. Nobody intended anything by that. Somebody who's quite high in hostility is very suspicious of, of people's intentions and behaviour. And, um, and as I said, anger as well. So they're quick to anger. Now they're likely to interpret that accidental bump as, as a perpetration. So they come back in a way that's quite aggressive. And the initial person who did it by accident then says, wow, I, it was just completely an unintentional accident. And then says, but if you're going to react like that, well, I may as well do it properly. So you get this... They, the, the, these victims um, or, or targets actually escalate what would otherwise be only a potential conflict situation into a true conflict situation very quickly. Looking at the other set of characteristics that I've been looking at, and there are a few people out there um, conducting this sort of research, is actually almost the opposite profile. Um, so you sort of go from this uh, somewhat vulnerable and perhaps a little bit internally angry and hostile person that can just be a little bit socially inept and then presents a kind of easy target. The other set of characteristics that I saw in my um, interview cases was people who were actually just perfectly stable, outgoing, easygoing people, uh, were exceptionally good at their jobs and they had very high levels of what we would call referent and expert power. So they were in a position where they had a lot of experience, they were admired by their peers, they were often, you know, the, uh, the PR face of the organisation, winning awards and things like that. And a perpetrator has come in and said, for whatever reason, you are a threat to me and I will do what I need to do to get rid of you. Uh, the outcomes that I've looked at in terms of the individual is their psychological wellbeing. Um, so I've used a pre-clinical level screening tool for depressive and anxiety disorders. And I've also looked at psychosomatic um, health indicators. So when you're highly stressed, there's some pretty common um, illnesses that you tend tend to get when you run down, tend to get more colds, be more absent, get stomach upsets, be unable to sleep or be overly fatigued, those sort of things. And another one is to engage in, um, you know, drinking more or smoking more as a sort of semi-coping mechanism. So I've looked at that. At the organisational level, I've looked at how it affects um, certain aspects of job performance. So um, looking at how it affects people's job satisfaction and commitment, and then also their extra role behaviours in their job. I did, and, and they said, Mel, did, we're going to need to go ahead and move you downstairs into storage B. No, we I, I was told uh, I could have not, some new people coming yeah, in, and no, we need all the they, space we can get. But they, that is great. What advice does Rebecca have for people experiencing bullying? Only you can know the environment you're in the power that you may or may not have and how likely it is if you report it that you're going to get a positive outcome. In the vast majority of my interview cases, the one thing that they said that they would recommend to anybody 
who ended up in a similar situation was just leave just exit and that's consistent with a lot of the bullying research where they've interviewed um, victims and they've said you know well, you tried to do this and you tried to do that they've looked at sort of for want of a better word successful targets and unsuccessful targets and, and compared the conflict resolution strategies they tried to use and 95% don't try and do anything that I did just leave so um, that presents a very pessimistic view I guess um, but it's, it's quite practical sometimes you will spend a lot of time engaging in sort of voicing behaviors like trying to report it or trying to confront the person responsible and not necessarily getting anywhere so one solution is particularly if it's getting too much for you you can leave the org consultant in me the organizational behavior consultant would like to say no 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 <laughs> there are ways that you can report this um, and, and and try and change it um, for the better. Uh, so from an individual point of view though, if you're distressed by it, there are some things that you can do in terms of your own reaction to it. So um, again, the counsellor or psychologist in me would say, um, you know, the, the likelihood of you changing the other person's behaviour is quite minimal compared to your capacity to change your own behaviour. So you can do things that will either reduce the likelihood that they have access to you to, to continue their behaviour. And you can also, um, depending on your psychological state at the time, potentially um, look at your perception and say, okay, I'm finding this very distressful. What exactly about it is it that I'm finding distressful? Um, is there anything that I can do at my end to change that perception of that distress? So um, some people who are highly self-aware and can regulate their emotions quite well can, can get that quiet space and have a think about it and go, okay, this person is trying to get a rouse out of me and the best thing I can possibly do is just not let them. If they come specifically you know, into a room to have a go at me, just put up the wall and say, I know you're trying to get a rouse out of me and it's just not going to work. And if the perpetrator is a predatory perpetrator and somebody stands up back to them they will often just move on to another victim they don't want to engage in a tit for tat they just want somebody they can control and have power over and if it gets to the point where it is quite serious I would do a formal report I think one of the issues is whilst I completely understand why people don't report it is that when it's not reported the organization can't really do anything about it once it has been formally reported they kind of have an obligation to do something. Not that all of them do due process of what they should do in response to a report, but it really depends on the context. It depends on you as a person. Um, it depends on the nature of your workplace. It depends on a range of other things. On some occasions, confronting the perpetrator and saying, I, the way that you just came in and, and spoke to me, I found really highly inappropriate and I don't want you to do it again. In the majority of cases where the bullying is intentional, it's not an, oops, I, I didn't know I was doing this thing. Um, in, in those cases, once you've gotten away with one, 
then you can get away with another one and another one and another one and another one. So, if you could just get to that as soon as possible, that would be terrific, okay? Thanks a bunch, Milton. Bullying definitely has an effect on individuals, but these next stories Rebecca tells us demonstrate how bullying, if left unchecked, can affect an entire organisation. And I remember a case quite some years ago when I was working as a learning and development consultant and one of my um, clients on a course and this person had essentially just resigned from their job. They had a young family and a, and a young wife. And he said, well, the reality is this, I've just come from a department, as I say, in a mining company, in a technical department, could be anywhere in Australia. Um, 19 people in the department, uh, the manager that had been there for quite some time left and they brought in a new manager. So 18 subordinates, all technically qualified people, so you know, reasonably intelligent people. And this this new manager was just, the only word you could come up with it from all reports was just a totally toxic person. They were an absolute bully. Broke a couple of people quite quickly and a few people left. Um, and then this person that I was speaking with became what we would call a toxin handler. He was the one trying to mediate between the problem boss and, and everybody else. So he was trying to feed back to the problem boss, how, you know, another three or four people left. Um, you know, the, the, the morale and, and, and the um, climate of that group was rapidly going down. And he said, it just became so stressful. He said, in the end, I stopped trying to say to the manager, um, you know, look, you're, you're really upsetting people. He said, I went to the manager once removed and they had a hand in hiring the person and there was no way that they were going to admit at all that they might have made a mistake in hiring this person. And he eventually went to the extent of three levels up and said, I now know that exit interviews are not even being done. That's a violation of organisational policy. If Even if you come down and say to this person, you must follow policy and conduct exit interviews, some, do something. And they didn't do anything. And he was the 18th person to leave. If they don't nip it when it's small, then it can escalate. And then before you know it, it's, it's almost an insurmountable problem. Um, and if that person becomes more and more skilled at it, they will continue to rise up within that organisation and just leave a trail of destruction behind them. Which It is against the law to, to have an environment that is psychologically or emotionally unsafe, just that we haven't been prosecuting in that area and we haven't been paying attention to it so people don't really realise. We can look at <laughs> Fraser Kirk and David Jones. Everyone laughed and said, oh well. You know, it never went to trial, and they, she settled for 850000 instead of the uh, 36 million she was originally pursuing, and everyone said, oh, well. I don't know how many people noticed that the day that the perpetrator was forced to stand down, they lost $81 million off their book value in shares in the share market. So that was an $81,850,000 plus legal costs mistake for that organisation. So some fairly hefty consequences. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, we want people to go to work and, and function in a productive um, environment in which their well-being is preserved. I don't think that's too much stuff. If you are the victim of workplace bullying, you can get help at humanrights.gov.au. Next time on Peace in Mind, we look at forgiveness. That's it for this edition of Peace in Mind. Thanks for listening.
Peace in Mind is produced for the Community Radio Network with the help of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and Psychologists for Peace, an interest group of the Australian Psychological Society. Theme and background music by Jandy Rainbow, unisonicascension.com. Series producers Kim Stewart, Linda Rose and Nathan Renault. You can find out more about the topics we cover by going to facebook.com slash peaceinmindproject.com.